This is Company Cars, the podcast that tries to make sense of the car business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Company Cars. This week, we're going to explore one of my favorite corners of the car business, and that's rental car companies. And specifically, we're going to examine how rental car companies operate and what their business model looks like, how they buy and sell cars, why rental car prices this summer look exorbitantly high, and how the business model might evolve over the next decade. So if you've listened to some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, you'll recall a segment that I have called the rental car roulette segment, where I roll into a rental car facility and just choose from the cars amongst the lot and drive something new every week. And this is a business that I'm really fascinated by because the cars are all largely the same. And so the business is really about all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And so this week, we're going to take a peek behind the airport rental counter and talk about everything that's happening in the office. And with summer fast approaching, we'll also take another run at the Craigslist challenge this week, looking for a fun getaway car from the city for the summer. So why do I really like rental car companies, or why am I so fascinated by these companies? Well, I think the thing that I find most fascinating about rental car companies are their general state of dysfunction of most rental car companies I've dealt with across cities and across countries even. The one exception to this might be Silver Car, which I haven't really had a dysfunctional experience with, but everybody else, whether it's uh, Avis, Budget, Enterprise, Hertz, they're all fairly dysfunctional. And this dysfunction is typically really frustrating to people. But over the years, I've learned to just roll with the dysfunction. And I find it kind of endearing and pretty amazing, actually, that these rental car companies can still survive despite all of this dysfunction happening within their organizations. And so over the years, I've generally tried to take advantage of this dysfunction as much as possible, whether it's through being able to snag an upgrade that I otherwise might not have been able to, or being able to rent a a specific car that I want that maybe is technically allocated to somebody else. But over the years, I found rental car companies incredibly fascinating, and not just because they always have a mix of different cars for me to choose from. So how does the rental car business model work? At a very fundamental level, it's not a terribly exciting business. Rental car companies buy or lease cars at steep discounts directly from the manufacturer and rent them out by the day to individuals, companies, people who need cars while they have the cars, and then they sell the cars off at the end or return the cars back to the lessor when they're done. And so in this view, basically the idea is you want to lose as as little money as possible between the price that you pay for the car up front and the price that you sell the car at the end, and you hope that any of the loss between the purchase price and the sale price that you're able to recover through renting the car out by the day to individuals and other people who need a rental car. And so in this statement, I did say one thing that should strike you as a little strange if you listened to our episode on dealership economics, and that is that rental car companies negotiate the purchase of cars directly from manufacturers. So in the past episode, we talked about how Consumers tend to have to buy cars from dealers, and the dealer is an intermediary between the manufacturer and the customer. But for rental car companies, because they buy so many cars, they deal directly with the manufacturer. And we'll talk more in detail about how this process works in a bit, but just keep that in mind that rental car companies negotiate the purchase of new cars directly with the manufacturer. 
And so before we get into how rental car companies make money a little bit further, let's talk about how rental car companies get cars. So rental car companies get cars in one of two ways. There are program cars, and these are cars that are rented from the manufacturer or from a different leasing company for a certain amount of time, and then they're returned to these companies uh, through a program, and that's why they're called program cars. The other category of cars that rental car companies have are called risk cars. And these are cars where the rental car company buys the car from the manufacturer and then sells the car later when they're done with the car. And along the way, the rental car company maintains all of the risk associated with owning the car. And that's why these are called risk cars. So for example, Avis Budget Group, one of the three major car rental agencies in the United States, discloses the mix of cars that it gets both from programs where they return the car to somebody else when they're done and risk cars, which they own and they control and they have to dispose of on their own. And they noted in their 2019 financial filings that roughly 34% of their rental fleet came from program cars and the balance came from risk cars. So it's about two thirds, one third at Avis. It's slightly different at Hertz. At Hertz, it's about 25% program cars and 75% risk cars. So program cars typically cost a little bit more money than if the rental car company bought them fully or if this or if the same car were a risk car. So in essence, the rental car company is paying a slight premium to not have to deal with disposing the car at the end of the time period they want to hold it. And as a condition of being able to return the car to somebody else and not have to deal with disposing of the car, program cars are also subject to strict requirements regarding the condition of the car that it needs to be in when it's turned in and how many miles the rental car company can put on the car during the time they have it. The length of a program car in the fleet can be anywhere from six months to 12 months. So these are fairly short-term leases and rental car companies typically use them to adjust the size of their fleet in different seasons. So Hertz noted that they use program cars primarily to ensure their fleet can meet the different seasonal needs of rental cars. You know, people want more rental cars in the summer than they do in the winter, for example. And with these program cars, uh, it's an easy way for them to do it because they don't have to worry about disposing the car at the end. And if the rental car co company violates all these provisions in the program agreement, then the agreement stipulates that they have to buy the car from the manufacturer and can't drop it off. And so then at that point, if they violate the terms and conditions of the program car, that particular program car would convert to a risk car. So for the risk cars, these are cars that the rental car companies buy outright. And usually for these cars, the rental car companies have to obtain financing, so they're not just going to pay cash for them. And they usually arrange some form of financing, and then when they're done with the car, they sell the car and pay off the balance of the loan. So these cars are less expensive because the manufacturer doesn't have to take care of disposing the car for you, but the rental car companies take on more risk because they own the car, and so they run the risk the car loses its value faster than anticipated during their time of ownership. In addition, Ownership of these cars are much more flexible, and so they can own the cars for a longer period of time. There's no stipulations on what shape it needs to be in when they're done. And so the ownership cars 
are a backbone of the fleet. And these are typically cars that they're going to have maybe for a couple years, three or four years. And they may cycle these cars through different brands in their portfolio um, to get maximum use out of the car and to reduce the average cost per year of the car. And the key with risk cars is the rental car company needs to figure out the optimal length to own the car to maximize their financial benefits. And usually this means being very savvy in negotiating the upfront price of the car, identifying the optimal point in that particular car's depreciation curve to sell the car. And this can vary for each individual make and model and is often reflected in what the rental car company is willing to pay for the car upfront. And then being very disciplined about leaving the car in the fleet until this optimal time. And then whenever the optimal time is, being very disciplined about yanking the car from the daily rental fleet and pushing it through their channels for disposing of old cars. Another thing to note is a, a car might have multiple optimal points in time to dispose of the car. And so the optimal point can vary widely based on the strategy that's chosen. And this can be as short as six or eight months, in which case these cars would mimic kind of the program cars or it can be as long as three years. And that's why you've seen a lot of the rental car companies, especially the majors like Enterprise, Avis, and Hertz, adopt this customer segmentation strategy where they have several different brands. So for example, Enterprise has both National and Alamo in addition to Enterprise, and they can move the cars between the brands to cater to different customers. So business travelers typically want very new cars, whereas leisure travelers who don't want to pay as much for the rental car are okay with an older car. So Enterprise can move a rental car after it turns, say, eight months old from National to Enterprise, which is kind of its mid-tier brand, and then leave the car at Enterprise between eight months and 15 months in its age, and then move it to Alamo once the rental car is 15 months old, and leave it at Alamo for like from 15 months until 30 months or even 36 months at Alamo. So how do the rental car companies buy these cars and what does the process looks like? So each of the rental car companies, they're constantly looking at their fleet and monitoring it and monitoring how many cars are entering the fleet, how many cars are exiting the fleet and what number they want to have in the fleet. So let's say they decide they need some new cars. And so what they'll do is they'll send out an RFP to all the major automakers that sell to fleets. And they'll say, we're looking for X cars across the following Y categories. And we're looking for, say, your program price for companies that have a program that they can participate in. And we're also looking for your price if we were to buy these cars outright. And they're willing to commit to, say, sometimes thousands of cars on one contract at a time. And so they're getting really big bulk pricing. And so they'll put together this RFP. They'll submit it to each of these automakers, and the automakers all have commercial fleet sales departments, and this will come into a commercial fleet sales manager who will work with the company and figure out what price the manufacturer is willing to sell the cars for, and then respond with a bid. And so then once the rental car company has selected a bid, then to actually deliver the cars, the cars will, will go through a dealership. But when they go through a dealership, everything has already been arranged. The price has been arranged, the exact car has been arranged, and where the car will, will be delivered has been arranged. And so all the dealership has to do is fill out all the paperwork to make the sale official. And the dealership will usually be paid 
say $50 per car that they fill out. And rental car companies will often bid out this work to different dealers because it's free money for the dealers. You just have to staff a title clerk for say a couple days nonstop and just push through a, a few hundred or a thousand of these transactions. So the dealerships bid against each other for the right to do this paperwork and the cars never go to the dealership. So all the major car rental companies have what's called a drop shipping code that gets applied to cars that are manufactured for them. So when the car comes off the assembly line, on the window sticker, they'll print that the car is sold to the dealer that did the paperwork, but it's going to ship directly to the rental car company wherever they want it. So maybe they want it at a processing yard in Atlanta, then the car will go to Atlanta. If they want it at a processing yard in Las Vegas, it'll go to Las Vegas. And this way, the dealership never actually sees the car. So it goes directly from the manufacturer to the rental car company. And then depending on whether the car is a program car or a risk car, then the paperwork may differ slightly. And if it's a risk car, then the rental car company will have its financing company write a check for the car, and the rental car company will pay back the finance company over time. And if it's a program car, the rental car company will start making lease payments, usually to the manufacturer, and then promise to return the car at a specific point in time in the future. So why are we spending so much time talking about how rental car companies buy cars? Well, this is a really critical part of the business model of rental car companies. So earlier I said that at a big picture level, rental car companies are in the business of buying cars as efficiently as possible, holding them for a certain amount of time and renting them out, and then selling the cars after a certain amount of time. And the key here is that gap between what a company pays for the car and what a company can sell the car for at the end. So that gap is the amount of money the rental car company needs to recover from rental car customers like you and me whenever we go to the airport. And if they can get the price of the car up front as low as possible, then that shrinks the gap that they need to recover. Because the value of the used car they're buying, regardless of what it is, is out of the rental car company's control for the most part. So the used car market is pretty efficient at identifying what a one-year-old Toyota Camry is worth, what a two-year-old Toyota Camry is worth, what a one-year-old Chevy Malibu is worth, etc. And so the rental car companies can only really control how much they pay for the car up front. So with program cars, the rental car company is doing something similar, only instead of negotiating the upfront purchase price of the car, they're directly negotiating the gap between the price of the car today and the price of the car whenever they're done using it. So whether it's a program or a risk car, the focus of the rental car company is the same, and that is to minimize the gap between the purchase price of the car today and what the car will be worth later. And since rental car companies don't have a lot of control over what the car will be worth later, then this means they're focused on the price of the car today as the best way to reduce the gap. In essence, this focus kind of puts the rental car companies more in the business of buying cars in bulk and selling them off one by one, so sort of like a vehicle reseller, than they are a rental car company because the revenue they make along the way to cover the cost of that gap from renting cars to you and me is relatively small in comparison to the amount of money they can save by negotiating a very, very low upfront purchase price. So besides buying cars strategically, what are some other ways that rental car companies make money? So rental car companies can also make money by 
really having a good control on costs. So they tend to be ruthlessly efficient about vehicle maintenance, staffing, vehicle positioning. So they want to always make sure they have the right cars in the right places. And they always want to make sure they're spending just the necessary amount on maintenance as required by the programs or required to sell the car at the end and keep it in reasonably good shape. So this is why a lot of rental car companies have completely dysfunctional IT systems. And that's because they don't really want to invest the money in IT because they have to be very, very laser focused on their cost if they're going to have any chance of really making money here. The rental car business is a very low margin business at its core because consumers are very price sensitive when they're shopping for a rental car because they're basically all the same between the different rental car companies. And while rental car companies can really try to keep a close lid on vehicle maintenance, there's only so much you can extract out of the car. So in the first year or two of the car's life, the car maybe needs an oil change or two oil changes. And yeah, you might save $10 by buying all of your oil filters in bulk, but that's not that much money that they can squeeze out. I mean, certainly it's welcome money, but it's not a ton of money. So the margins are really, really tight. And you have to be ruthlessly efficient about your costs. And you have to be ruthlessly aggressive about selling high margin add-ons to consumers when they do rent a car. So things like insurance, prepaid gas, satellite radio, etc. In addition, the rental car companies have to be really, really, really good at forecasting demand, not just from different customer segments, but across different products. So they want to make sure they have the right number of convertibles and BMWs and vacation destinations and the right combination of more affordable cars, maybe in other places. And they also need to have really good information about how much the consumer is willing to pay and trying to charge as much as they can to each individual customer. So for example, they may find out that one-way renters are more willing to pay for a rental car than round-trip renters. So they'll try to charge one-way renters more money than round-trip renters. And so they'll try to do all these things to maximize their profit margins. But it's still a pretty brutal low margin business. And um, even in the best of times, like throughout the late 2010s, it was pretty difficult for the rental car companies to make money, especially Hertz. But we'll come back to Hertz's specific case probably in a future episode. And now it's time for a short break. We'll hear from our sponsors and we'll share some information about how to submit a listener question. This week, our sponsor is the Rental Car Shuttle Bus, the only form of transportation that strikes fear in consulting partners everywhere. The Rental Car Shuttle Bus. Don't forget about us the next time you're at the airport. If you have a question that you want answered on the show, write us an email at companycarspodcast at gmail.com. So if this is such a low margin business, then why are rental cars so expensive for this summer? So if you've noticed, rental car prices are probably two to three times what they were in summer 2019, and that's the case for several reasons. One, last year during the depths of the pandemic, most of the rental car companies saw this change in demand and adjusted their fleet sizes to account for this. So the rental car companies started selling off a bunch of cars and they just didn't replace them. I think something like 30 or 40% of Hertz's fleet was disposed of last year. And so the rental, car, the rental car companies all have fewer cars this year. And in addition, 
people are starting to travel again this year. So there's more demand for rental cars this year. And so you might say, oh, great, there's more demand. So the rental car companies are going to go buy more cars. Well, this year, there's also a big shortage of new cars. So there have been several supply chain issues, particularly around semiconductors that have limited the production of new cars. And that's meant manufacturers are less willing to write big rental fleet discounts on new cars. So rental car companies are trying to buy as few new cars as possible. So they basically just want to buy the absolute bare minimum number of cars they need to get through this year until the supply of cars becomes a little bit stronger and they can buy cars at a bigger discount. Because now the gap between the purchase price of a new car and what the car will be worth next year has has increased, right? So the car is more expensive today. The car in a year, the value has probably gone up a little bit, but not by the same degree by which prices have spiked for new cars. So the rental car companies are trying to be very conservative about how they renew and refresh their fleet this year. And in exchange, they're just trying to take advantage of the fact that there's increased demand for customers and there's fewer cars. And this is one of the first times in a very, very long time where rental car companies have some pricing leverage over consumers and they're going to take advantage of it. So that's why running a car this year is much more expensive than it was last year or the year before. Uh, it's just kind of this classic shrinkage of supply and increase in demand happening simultaneously. So was the rental car business a good one to be in? Uh, the short answer is probably no, right? So there, uh, there's, it's very difficult for a rental car company to differentiate itself from its competitors because everybody's buying the same cars. And you could have nicer cars, but then that increases your costs and makes it harder to compete. In addition, consumers are very price sensitive because consumers kind of recognize that most of the rental car companies are doing about the same thing. And so it's very hard to build customer loyalty. And there's also a huge network effect where there are consumers that like to rent from a familiar brand. And so it might take a really long time to build kind of like this brand profile to be able to get renters. And so in the end, it's it's a tough business. I, I don't know if it's a business I'd want to be in myself. I think the only company that's had recent luck as a startup has Silver Car. And so they started as a company where their premise was, we are going to rent only Audi A4s. And they were this really upmarket experience that tried to make everything easy. And so Silver Car lasted for a very long time. And then eventually they were bought by Audi. And so now they're just a division of Audi. And Silver Car has been reorganized as being based around Audi dealers and a way to introduce customers to an Audi as opposed to really being a way to disrupt the rental car business. Also, before the pandemic, there was a lot of questions as to how long the rental car business would be around because consumers, instead of renting a car on their vacation, they would just take Uber and Lyft wherever they needed to go. So it was very difficult to compete against kind of these rideshare services because they offered kind of the same thing. They offered transportation when you got to your destination. And the rental car companies had tried a bunch of new ideas to try to diversify their business away from daily rentals. So they started renting cars to Uber drivers themselves to use cars in ride hailing and ride sharing. So in a way, kind of partnering with Uber and Lyft instead of competing against them. Uh, the rental car companies have also dipped more of their toes into fleet management. So all the rental car companies have very sophisticated 
fleet management systems to keep track of their own fleets. And they started saying, hey, we can do the same services for you, small business owner, and we can manage everything in your fleet using kind of the things that we know about managing a rental car fleet to help these business owners run their fleets. And so they started to diversify into some of these other businesses. But I mean, each of these other businesses also has challenges. So it'll be interesting to see where the industry goes. I think there's going to be some innovation here after the pandemic as consumers shift away from owning cars over the next several decades. There's certainly some opportunity here to rent out cars for people who maybe used to have two cars, but now only have one car or used to have a car and now have zero. And there's also going to be some fleet management opportunities to help manage some of these um, fleets that may develop like an autonomous fleet. Uh, The cars are still going to need maintenance or a place to park every night and someone to charge all the cars if they're electric. So there's some business opportunities, but it's a tough business. And there's no promise that it's not going to get disrupted by somebody new who hasn't emerged yet. It's time for the Craigslist Challenge. This week on the Craigslist Challenge, let's do something fun, and let's look for a sports car or a convertible as a city escape or getaway car for the summer. And let's look in the city where I think is the best city in the world for convertible weather, and that's Los Angeles, California. And let's try to keep it affordable. Let's see what is the most interesting thing we can find that's a convertible for about $10,000. All right, so here we have a 2001 Porsche Boxster convertible. So this is the original 986 generation Boxster. It's the same color, I think, that Elle Woods drove in the movie Legally Blonde. So it's dark blue with a gray leather interior. Uh, I think the only difference is this one has the upgraded wheels compared with Elle Woods' car in Legally Blonde. And this car stuck out to me for several reasons. One, it appears to be enthusiast-owned. So it seems like the previous owner has taken reasonably good care of this car because the description describes a brake system upgrade, brand new Michelin Pilot Sport tires, which are pretty expensive, uh, and a Mobile One synthetic oil change, which is a pretty expensive brand of oil. The description also notes the convertible top's been replaced and upgraded with a glass rear window. So, so originally, these Porsche Boxsters came with a plastic rear window that over time would lose its visibility and it would get really ugly and it just didn't look great. So this top has already been replaced and it's got a glass window, so it it should age much better. And it seems like from the pictures, the interior and and such is in pretty good shape for a 20-year-old car. It's got 84,500 miles, which is a lot for an old Porsche, but these cars are pretty reliable and a lot of people use them as daily drivers. So it's not too bad if you think about it as a daily driver. In addition, these early turn of the millennium Porsches, a lot of them had issues with this one particular part that would fail at relatively high failure rates. And this was the intermediate motor shaft bearing. And so if one of these failed, it would basically mechanically total the car by grenading the engine. And the issue was more concentrated in the Porsche 911 of the same generation, but some Boxsters are also affected. And I would just check to make sure that either this one uh, has already had a retrofit done. So there are lots of companies that offer an aftermarket retrofit that addresses the issue or that um, there's been sufficient analysis done over the years to make sure that there aren't any metal shavings appearing in the oil as that's usually 
an early sign of uh, IMS bearing failure coming. Most of the cars that experience IMS failure at this point that haven't had their original IMS bearing replaced are super low mileage cars. So using the car actually helps to mitigate the problem. And so at this mileage, I'm not sure I would be super worried about it if it hasn't had the IMS bearing replaced. I don't see it discussed in the description, so it's definitely something that I would talk about with the seller, and I would definitely take it for a pre-purchase inspection at a Porsche specialist in Los Angeles if you were interested in buying this car. But to sum up, I like this car for several reasons. It's a great color. It's an iconic car. It's a lot of fun. So this one has the six-speed manual, um, and... This car has a good set of tires, and it looks like it's in pretty good shape. And so for for $10,000, which is what it's listed for, you could do a lot worse for the money. I mean, this is Miata money here. And don't get me wrong, I love the Mazda Miata. I own one. But um, this Boxster is also incredibly fun for the price point. And actually, I couldn't find a similarly priced Miata that looked interesting in Los Angeles right now. So the link to the posting will be in the show notes. And as of the show's taping on April 10th, this car was available. So if you're interested in a summer getaway car and you can drive stick shift, or you're interested in learning how to drive stick shift, then this uh, Porsche Boxer should be a pretty fun car. And that's going to wrap it up on this week's episode of Company Cars. Uh, Thank you for making it to the end here. We have some end credits and uh, all the details about the Porsche we just talked about will be in the show notes. Of course, it takes a whole village to make a podcast, and so we want to make sure we give due credit to the individuals involved with making this podcast. Our chief technical advisor is Turn It Off and On, and our legal and strategy consultant is Bill Me More. Finally, we're assisted by our product planner, Ada Trim, and our finance and insurance manager, Mark Up the Rates. <laughs>